Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week, well, pretty much news from the United States. Just uh, a lot of right-wing shit happened in the United States this week, so that's what we're going to be focusing on. RC when hell that is a celebrated death of a fascist this week in history will be coming from Ireland, however. So, let's get started. The United States House of Representatives, that is the lower branch of the United States Congress, a committee in it called the Ways and Means Committee, has finally gotten access to six years of Donald Trump's tax returns. They've been trying to get access to Donald Trump's tax returns for an extremely long time, basically since he, you know, started running for president, because that's something that historically presidents have been doing for the last at least several decades. I think it began when Jimmy Carter ran for president. In any case, Trump has constantly maintained that nobody should be able to get his tax returns, blah, 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 blah. This might really seriously complicate him running in 2024 because it's likely that it'll just like expose a bunch of shady shit that he's been doing, especially since he became the president. The fact that, you know, he bragged openly about flaunting rules like financial rules during his run against Hillary Clinton in 2016 that might not land so well, you know, for a president who's, you know, one of his major campaign planks was, quote unquote, draining the swamp and like getting rid of corruption, you know, that might not work. Further blows against Trump, the Department of Justice says that former aides to the president, as in President Trump, cannot avoid testimony about him in grand jury cases in Georgia and D.C., So far, Trump aides have been saying that presidential legal protections mean that they don't get to, that they don't have to, that they're even explicitly barred from talking about what they did for the Trump administration during their time in it. This means that a lot of people will literally be required by law to testify before grand juries in Georgia and D.C. regarding cases that are about them trying to obstruct the inauguration of Joe Biden. These cases are explicitly about the sort of like electoral part of the strategy to prevent Joe Biden's inauguration, as in not the actual invasion of the Capitol building itself, but like trying to change how votes are being counted or trying to turn off machines or, you know, trying to decertify votes, stuff like that. Taking a quick break from national politics in the United States, I'm going to zero in on Idaho because actually a lot of right-wing stuff has been happening in Idaho recently. You'll recall last week that I noted that a member of the Boise, Idaho Police Department was outed recently as a just like a white supremacist. He spoke at a white supremacist conference, the American Renaissance Conference. Now the Boise, Idaho mayor announces a special investigation into this guy, you know, into the fact that while a sitting member of the police department, like while a while a member of the police department, he was just a fascist. He was an open fascist. She is not like trying to brush this under the rug with the investigation either. She's bringing in an outside investigator, as in literally a fed, like she's bringing in federal people to investigate this. Further in Idaho, there was earlier last month, so in November of 2022, a series of murders at the University of Idaho, which is located in Moscow, Idaho. Four people were killed, I did not report on this earlier because the motive of the attacker was unclear. However, it is increasingly seeming like the motive for the attacker was incel ideology. That is the same ideology that motivated the attacks in the UC Santa Barbara incel attacks that happened in the 20-teens. I will cover this more as more details emerge about it. 
Moving back to federal stuff, sentences keep rolling in for January 6th coup participants. Among them are some people who pled guilty and have therefore maybe like literally worked with the cops talking about their behavior, sharing information and stuff like that. One such person is Matthew Wood, who got one year of home detention and three years of probation. Wood is the first and so far only participant who has been actually convicted of his participation in the coup, who uh, has not gotten any jail time. That is different for the Oath Keepers. A big sentence has been laid down for some of the top leaders of the Oath Keepers, which prior to this trial were one of the biggest, largest, most powerful, and important fascist organizations in the United States. This trial is probably cutting them down to size because two of their biggest leaders, that is Kelly Meggs, who is the leader of the Florida Oath Keepers, and Stuart Rhodes, who is the national leader of the Oath Keepers and their founder, have both been sentenced with seditious conspiracy. Now, seditious conspiracy is an incredibly powerful accusation in the United States. It's like a civil war type accusation, as in it is it's the sentence that the government gives to people when it believes that they have intentionally tried to overthrow the government of the United States. Literally, specifically, this means the jurors believed that their invasion of the Capitol building was part of a long-term planned and intentional attack on the United States federal government and on the presidential succession. The jury's conviction of these two individuals also was related to specific threats of violence against Mike Pence, Donald Trump's former vice president, and Nancy Pelosi, the former Speaker of the House and the Speaker of the House at the time of the attempted coup itself. Charges of seditious conspiracy contain potential sentences of 20 years in jail. That would be an extremely long time, uh, especially for Stuart Rhodes, who is an older person. Rhodes's attorney, at least, has said that he plans to appeal the conviction. However, just in general, the fact that a jury was willing to hear this case and that they were interested in giving this kind of verdict, it seems to mean that juries in the United States are really interested in actually making sure that people like Rhodes and Meggs actually face consequences for their involvement in this attempted coup. It might also scare other people who are up for similar charges, like other people who are members of the Oath Keepers or people who are members of the Proud Boys or people who are the Three Percenters, you know, some of the other major fascist organizations that participated in the attempted coup, that they might be more willing to actually talk and that they might actually engage with law enforcement, that they might actually engage with the feds and that this might be able to get kicked up the ladder and that, you know, somebody might talk about the involvement of people like, you know, Donald Trump's actual advisors, who are the go-betweens between him and the people on the actual ground of the coup. One of these go-betweens who has yet to face any serious consequences for his involvement in the coup is Roger Stone. Yes, that Roger Stone, you know, he's come up a lot in this podcast, but I want to remind you that Roger Stone is a direct through line from Watergate, like Richard Nixon's major political scandal, He's a direct through line from Watergate to the attempted coup on January 6th, 2021. What a country. I mean, amazing. Speaking of, you know, what a country, horrible shit about the United States. Last week, right before Thanksgiving, Donald Trump met with Ye, the artist formerly known as Kanye West, and Nick Fuentes, one of the leading fascist, you know, post-alt-right ideologues on the internet. This happened right before Thanksgiving, which was when my previous episode was released. But that episode was canned, you know, it was pre-recorded a little bit. So I did not get to this particular event in time. That's why I'm getting to it now. Apparently, Ye brought Nick Fuentes as a guest. 
And Trump claims that he didn't know who Nick Fuentes was. Nick Fuentes has said that, you know, he engaged in this meeting and was trying to get Trump to see how awesome he, that is Nick Fuentes, is and how much of a Trump loyalist he is. Trump claims that he doesn't know who Fuentes was. And honestly, I buy that because Trump does intentionally farm out contact with the extreme right people to other internal advisors like the aforementioned Roger Stone or people like Steve Bannon. Now, this dinner is a lot more complicated than it would seem. Apparently, initially, Trump planned this just as a meeting with his, you know, kind of friend, Ye. I mean, Ye has supported Donald Trump the entire time that Donald Trump has been a major political figure in the United States since 2015, basically. Ye was in support of Donald Trump back then. You know, he was wearing Make America Great Again hats. He was going to New York to Trump Tower to talk to Donald Trump. This was a meeting like that. However, now, Ye has been a, a lot more radical. Specifically, if you recall, he has gotten a lot of flack and has lost a lot of major business deals and also just a lot of popularity for his extremely blatant open anti-Semitism, which is indefensible. In addition to this, it seems as if he has been falling further into the realm of the extreme right wing, not just by cavorting with people like Nick Fuentes, who, as I've said before, is just a fascist. Nick Fuentes openly believes in anti-democracy. He does not believe in elections. But now Ye apparently has officially contracted, like as an official advisor, Milo Yiannopoulos, who is a name that has been out in the doghouse for a while of the right wing. And now he finds himself actually getting people to meet with Donald Trump. This is, this is a very complicated, confusing situation. The scenario that all of the people who participated in this meeting agreed upon, you know, what they say is what happened, is this. They say that Milo Yiannopoulos got this meeting between Ye and Trump, and that Ye was allowed to bring guests, and that one of the people that he brought was Nick Fuentes, who is also a, an advisor to Ye, but, but not as official as Yiannopoulos is. This, they claim, that is Yiannopoulos and Ye, claim that this was an attempt to provoke Donald Trump. Either that they were trying to, like, tank his ability to run in 2024 in preparation for Ye making a run himself, which is something that he's entertained for quite some time. Or it was an attempt by people like Yiannopoulos and Fuentes to, like, light a fire under Trump's ass or something like that. To try to remind him what his extreme base is like, the kinds of things that appeal to that extreme base, how big it is, and how powerful it still is. Despite the fact that he seems to have not lost the Republicans the midterm elections last month, but, you know, that, that they didn't win as much as they wanted to. So either this was a, just like an attempt to stymie Trump by, you know, linking him to extreme right-wing nationalism and white supremacism, or it was an attempt to try to get Trump to be more white supremacist in order to appeal to the base that won him the primary last time so that he might be able to win the primary this time. For his part, Trump says that he didn't know who Fuentes was, like I said before, that he didn't know Fuentes was going to be there, that he kind of didn't think that he was terrible, Nick Fuentes that is, but that he didn't really pay that much attention to him. Immediately after this, Ye and Fuentes went on to appear on an extremely popular podcast and video interview show hosted by a person named Tim Poole. Tim Poole is famous for moving from Occupy Wall Street to the extreme right in 2020. Ye then stormed out after Tim Pool said that maybe Jewish people aren't quite so bad and as in control of everything or murderous as Ye seems to believe. 
for their involvement in this meeting. Fuentes and Ye have sparked a major controversy in the Republican Party, specifically a lot of people, including former Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, say that they think this meeting means that Trump will not be able to secure the nomination in 2024. They think that he's gone too far. But, you know, we've heard that before. It remains to be seen whether this association with the extreme right and with open anti-Semitism is going to tank Trump's primary aspirations in 2024, or if it might help them. We, we, we don't know. Finally, going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, we are talking about Ewan O'Duffy, born Owen O'Duffy, an Irish military man, leader of part of the IRA, and later one of the most prominent Irish fascists. O'Duffy, like I said, was a leader of part of the IRA in the initial fight between the Irish Republican Army, you know, this uh, independence force, and the United Kingdom. He was a later member of the Sinn Féin party, which is still one of Ireland's main political parties through the 1920s. During this time, he was a sort of like center-left person. He later on joined the police of the Irish Free State, which was the first independent Irish state founded after the victory of the Irish Republican Army against the United Kingdom. Like many cops and veterans of fighting in the 1910s and 1920s, by the 1930s, O'Duffy had ceased to be a sort of center-leftist and had become a fascist. He joined an organization that was formerly called the Army Comrades Association, but which in Ireland and across the world, as you know, people who study fascism, is known as the Blue Shirts because of their shirts. The Blue Shirts were Ireland's biggest fascist organization in the 1930s. They eventually merged with other parties and paramilitary organizations to found a new political party called Fine Gael, F-I-N-E-G-A-E-L, which is still another of Ireland's major political parties, this time a Christian Democratic Party today. O'Duffy himself, a fascist, was the leader of the party for one year at its founding. Again, this party is still around and was essentially founded and initially led by a man who was a fascist, just like an open fascist. O'Duffy participated in the first and only international fascist conference organized by Mussolini, but, you know, which Mussolini and Hitler themselves actually kind of distanced themselves from because it was mostly like also rands in the European world of fascism. O'Duffy left Ireland and his political affiliations to Spain during the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s to fight for Franco. He was not alone in this. There were a lot of international brigades who went to Spain to fight in the name of fascism and the right wing. Upon his return to Ireland from Spain, he had been sidelined in Irish politics pretty much eternally. He tried for a while to get an organized Irish brigade in the name of the Nazi party, which again would not have been that unusual. There were a lot of foreign brigades working with the Nazis, usually in the auspices of the SS. However, he was denied this because of Ireland's neutrality in the war. The Germans didn't want to deal with any of this crap for, you know, just like a couple thousand guys. Not really worth it. This failure and his further sidelining from Irish politics led him to intensify his drinking problem. He drank very heavily for a couple years in the 1940s and died of poor health this week in history, the 30th of November, 1944. So, Ewan O'Duffy, we will see you in hell. That was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. And please, sincerely, tell friends, family, and comrades about the podcast. That's how people learn about it. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 spelled out and all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm still on Twitter. Haven't bailed yet. Uh, at hist of the right, that's H-I-S-T of the right. And fascism15, which is the podcast's account on Twitter. All right. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.